Hey, thanks for joining us today at Divine Church. We're one church with two locations reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ, and you can partner with us by sharing this video or clicking the Give link below. But for now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Your love so great, Jesus in all things. I've seen a glimpse of your heart a billion years. Still I'll be singing. How can I praise you enough? How can I praise you enough? Let's sing this together. You are the Lord. You 
Well, how are you, church? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you today. For those of you I haven't had the privilege of getting to meet yet, my name's Andrew Irwin, and I get to be one of the pastors here at the Vine Church, and I'm fired up that I get to be with you as we jump back into our unexpected message series. And in this series, what we're discovering together is that we just can't escape unexpected things. Like unexpected things are going to come our way. And so what we've actually got to stop trying to do is escape them and actually start embracing unexpected things happening. But we know that's challenging. And in fact, last week we talked about how unexpected things can really leave us feeling unqualified. And when we feel unqualified, what happens is when the unexpected comes our way, our default position becomes pulling back when maybe the unexpected is really an opportunity for us to press in. And so this week, what we're going to talk about is how the unexpected not only can leave us feeling unqualified, can actually leave us feeling unprepared. But even when we're unprepared, we can still press in. See, I actually only remember one day from my third grade year of school. Like, have you ever thought about your, like, your school days and gone, man, I, I can't really remember a whole lot of specifics, kind of just some generalities. Well, I remember one day very vividly because it was the one and only day in my like entire academic career when I got detention. So it stands out to me. And I didn't get detention maybe for the reasons you're thinking of. Like I wasn't the whoopee cushion kid. I wasn't like the wouldn't stop talking kid. Like I was generally a pretty good kid. But one day at the start of class, the, the teacher stood before us and said, we need everybody to pass their progress reports to the front of the room. I had forgotten to get my progress report signed. And so while everybody else was passing theirs forward, I pulled mine out and did the world's worst forgery job imaginable. And then I passed it forward. And when the teacher picked it up, she looked at it briefly and put it in the pile with every, every other progress report. And I thought, I'm good. I'm in the clear. Like I had pulled it off. And so I went through my day and at the, in the afternoon, I actually had some time to just play with my friends and I was having a good day when all of a sudden my teacher invited me to step into the hall. I had never before been invited to step into the hall because that is where the bad kids get invited to step into. And so I stepped out into the hall with a lot of fear and trepidation, although I looked around at my friends and I was like, I wasn't doing anything wrong right now. And when I got out there, the teacher was holding my progress report. And she said, did you get your mom to sign this? And before I could even speak, the tears started flowing. Like it was the waterworks right there in the hallway. Like I started blubbering and like I was, I was not doing well. And I blurted out like as best as I could, no, I signed it. And she goes, man, I am so sorry that this is so upsetting to you. You can, you can take some time to recover while you're in detention. <laughs> so you would think, you would think that after that experience that was just so negative and a little bit left me scarred from the third grade, that I would have like this like path of preparedness that I had like laid before myself for the rest of my life. Like for the rest of my days, I'm just convinced that I'm going to be prepared. Wrong. That is not the case at all. All. In fact, when I was like preparing this message, I started looking back on like the majority of the major milestone moments in my life. And I've realized that I really wasn't prepared for like any of them. Like it's remarkable how unprepared I've been for all of these big moments in my life. Like for instance, I remember vividly like the very end of my, fo my football career. And, and just so you know, like I, I was a stud left out for the football team, right? Like I was a, like a five-star left out. It was ridiculous how talented I was riding the bench. And, and I actually, actually like didn't get to play the last few games of my final season playing football because I broke my ankle, which is astounding since I rode the bench. Like it is unbelievable to me. And, and like, I think about like the first time I ever asked my wife, Kristen out. We were in high school together and I asked her to come sit with me in the lunchroom and, because I'm, I'm romantic like that, right? And, and so I invited her to come sit with me and, and I was very um, unprepared for her response. She looked at me and said, no, and went and sat by herself. 
Yeah, that was good. The good news was she wasn't, she wasn't prepared for how like, persistent I would be. And so it worked out for me in the end. So it's okay. Like, and I, I thought about like when I first received my call into ministry, like I was a pretty new Christian. I hadn't been following Jesus very long. And, and at that point in life, I was convinced that I was going to be a rich doctor. Like that was the plan. And then the Lord said, you were called to tell people about me. Like that's, that was like the calling that I received. And I thought, cool, I only have to work one day a week. That's awesome. I was very unprepared for the call that I had received. I think you're picking up what I'm putting down now. Like, I think we've all had that moment if you're a parent. You remember that moment when you drove away from the hospital with your child in the backseat for the very first time? Like, you remember that instant? Like, I mean, you're locked in 10 and 2 at that point, right? Like, I mean, like, you're like death gripping the wheel. Like, you're still in the parking lot, and if any cars get closer, you're like, stop! What are you doing? You crazy? I've got a baby on board. Like, you know, like, you're. You are locked in there and then you get home and you realize that they forgot to give you the manual and you realize really how unprepared you are. Like it's astounding how that can happen. I remember when Kristen and I received the unexpected opportunity to join the team here at the Vine about four years ago. I remember how, how unprepared we were for how quickly we were gonna fall in love with this church and with this community and how incredible the people here are. It was just, we weren't, we weren't prepared for it. It was unexpected for us. And, and as I was preparing this message, I, I got one of those kind of tangible reminders of how life really is unexpected. I was actually doing message prep. I was getting ready for this morning when I got a phone call um, saying that one of my foster kiddos needed to be rushed to the emergency room at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And, and so we, we started, closed the computer, grabbed him, and we headed down to Atlanta where we spent a couple nights and received um, a, you know, an unfortunate diagnosis and we're now we're kind of back home all together and, and we're, we're doing better now. But it was like one of those moments where it was like, seriously, Lord? Like, listen, I've got enough illustrations for Sunday already. Like, I don't, I don't need anything else to, to add to the message this week. But I think the, the reality is there is absolutely no way for us to fully prepare for anything and everything that could come our way on any given day. And I think the truth is, you know that already, right? Like, like for instance, how many of you have ever been in a car accident? Show of hands. Yeah, the majority of the room has been in a car accident some, at some time in their life. H- how many of you planned that car accident? Like you, like you prepared for it and you're like, you know what, today I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna get dressed, I'm gonna go to work and on my way, I'm gonna get into an accident. It's gonna be awesome, great day. No, like none of us prepare for that. Like my guess is, I'm not gonna have you raise your hands because I don't wanna embarrass anybody, but my guess is you've maybe had that moment where you were driving down the road and there was like a siren that came on and there was some blue flashing lights and you got to meet Georgia's finest as you were pulled off on the side of the road. I've never met a person who was like, hey, you know what? I got a ticket, but it's cool because I prepared for it. <laughs> Nobody prepares to get a ticket when you're driving down the road, right? Or, or for instance, this, this is probably the best example of all. How many of you have had the stomach bug before? Have you ever had the stomach bug? That's a, that's a good time, right? Yeah. Were you prepared for the stomach bug when it came your way, right? Like, like you had that family calendar session where you're like, all right, so Monday night is soccer. Tuesday night, we're going to have tacos and family game night. And then Wednesday night, we're all going to run to the bathroom together, right? <laughs> like, like nobody ever prepares for the stomach bug to come and ravage your household, right? That nobody does that. But the reality is we all know that those times in life come. So here's the good news for us today. The good news is we don't have to spend all of our time and our energy preparing for every possible situation that we can find ourselves in. Instead of trying to prepare for every possibility, what if we just embrace the fact that in every situation that could come our way, we may not be prepared, but we can have peace. And that peace comes from knowing that we're in the presence of the Lord. And, and I think we're gonna see this further when we dig into our scripture passage this morning. So if you brought your Bible or have a Bible app, I'm gonna invite you to open with me to Luke chapter five. We're gonna be looking at verses 12 through 16 together. So again, that's Luke chapter five, verses 12 through 16. And as you're turning there, I just wanna give you um, a little heads up that 
we're actually gonna be picking up exactly where we left off in our scripture from last Sunday. And if you weren't here, I wanna kind of give you like, I'm gonna quickly catch you up on, on what you missed. Essentially, if you read through the beginning of Luke's gospel, you see that Jesus is doing remarkable things. Like he is a one man kingdom bringing machine. Like he's doing all these unbelievable things. He's traveling around the region of Galilee. He's going from town to town, city to city, village to village. And everywhere he's going, he's proclaiming the word of God with authority. He's casting out demons and he's healing the sick. And then just when you think that Jesus is going to single-handedly usher in the fullness of the kingdom of God all by himself, he goes and does the unexpected. He invites some fishermen to become his followers so that they can ultimately become fishers of men. Now, what's really interesting is that the, the people that Jesus invited to be his followers, they, would, they were more than likely teenage guys who spent their days like cleaning nets so they could prepare for the nights when they would actually be out on the water trying to catch fish. These were not people who would have been considered the best and the brightest. They were the average and the ordinary, and that's who Jesus invites to come and follow him. And that's really fascinating because it was very common for rabbis to travel around and to look for people to become their disciples or become their followers. But they were always looking for the people who would have been like those star students. They would have been the smartest, the top of their class, the people who came from the right families, who had the right upbringing, who knew how to say and do all of the right things. That's not who Jesus invited to come and follow him. Jesus invited people that, that the world would have had basically no expectations for, which is what makes it so unexpected. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus probably didn't have, have super high expectations for the people he picked to follow him they would have had extremely high expectations for him because these average ordinary guys, they knew a few things about rabbis. They knew that rabbis are supposed to do certain things and avoid certain things. And Jesus, he goes and takes the disciples' expectations for him. And in the very first scene that we read about, after they've been called to follow him, he takes those expectations and he sets them on fire. Like he blows up their expectations for the very from the very beginning, and we're gonna see how he does it today. So we're gonna pick up reading with Luke chapter five, verse 12. It begins like this. While he, he being Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, I wanna point out that even though Jesus now has his first four followers, you might wanna think of this as his first four recruits. Even though he's got those guys and they're now following him, Jesus is still doing the exact same things. He's still continuing the work of traveling from town to town, city to city, village to village. And he's still proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's still casting out demons. He's still healing the sick. Nothing has really changed for him, but everything has changed for these followers of Jesus. And that's so important. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. So Jesus is traveling to a new city. And when he enters this one particular city, a man with leprosy approaches him and bows down before him, begging to be made clean. Now, in order for that to really resonate with us, I think we have to have maybe a bigger like context for what's happening here. So leprosy at this point in time was Basically, it could consist of nearly any skin abnormality imaginable. Like it could be scales, it could be lesions, it could be a, a skin irritation or even a skin inflammation could be categorized as leprosy. Now, I, I don't know how interested you all are in and how the how you know the biblical diagnosis of leprosy, but if you really have an unexpected urge to learn more about how leprosy was diagnosed and treated, you can have a riveting afternoon really tearing into Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, and then you can come back and give us all a report next week about what you learned. Now, 
if you want the Cliff Notes version, I can give that to you really quickly today. Essentially, if a person had a skin abnormality, they would have to go to the priest. And it would be incumbent upon the, the priest to look at the skin abnormality and determine if that person needed to be quarantined. Now, quarantine basically means to be separated from everybody else based on their skin condition. And about seven days later, the priest would show back up to this person who's been quarantined and they would reevaluate the skin. And they actually had two options at that point. They could continue the quarantine or they could make a proclamation. And when it comes to proclamations, there was two types. The first was that the person was clean. That means that they are ready to come out of quarantine. They're ready to go back to their family, their friends, their households, their community. Life goes on just as it had before that little skin irritation popped up. The other proclamation that a priest could make was that a person was leprous. You did not want to be pronounced a leper. And here's why. Lepers had to travel around with their clothes torn. And I, and I don't mean in like the cool hip new way that the teenagers are doing it, like where you actually have to pay more money for the clothes that have been ripped up a little bit. Like that, that's not what I mean. Like I'm talking like their, their clothes were torn and their hair was like disheveled, like real, real bad ladies, like, like, like a mess, okay? But here's the upside. It didn't really matter because you weren't going to be seeing anyone because lepers had to live either by themselves or in a colony of other lepers. That, that was it. And they weren't gonna see anybody else. In fact, if, if there happened to be a person who was clean coming anywhere near them, the biblical command is that they actually had to cover their upper lip and shout out, unclean, unclean, just to make sure that everybody knew that they were the town pariah. They were the town outcast. I mean, if you think about it, leprosy was effectively you being expelled from the life that you had always known. Now you have to leave your family and your friends, your society behind to go and live all on your own or with other people who have also been cast out from culture. So it's not surprising that, that this man with leprosy hears that Jesus has come to town. He gets wind that Jesus, the guy who's been teaching and preaching and healing and casting out demons has come to his town. Instead, and so instead of staying outside of the bounds of the town and shouting unclean, unclean, what's he do? He beelines for Jesus. I mean, he goes after Jesus like a heat-seeking missile, which for Jesus, this is probably not a big deal. Like this is probably pretty common for him. I wouldn't even say this is unexpected because when, when you read throughout the gospels, what you see is that people in desperate situations who have basically run out of earthly solutions, they turn to Jesus for a heavenly solution, don't they? Like we see that again and again. Like, like think about the woman with the bleeding issue, right? She's been bleeding for years. She's probably bled out her entire savings account. Like her life savings is gone. She's gone to every doctor and no one can help her. So what does she do? She hears that Jesus has come to town. She snakes her way through the crowd and just touches the fringe of his hem, of his garment. And she's healed, right? Or, or think about blind Bartimaeus, right? Like there he is sitting on the side of the road in Jericho. Jesus is passing through town. And what's he start doing? He starts shouting uncontrollably. Like you get the sense that everybody in the town is like, stop it, stop stop, man. And he can't. He shouts all the more. He's louder and louder. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And what happens? Jesus gives him his sight. Or, or think, about, think about little Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus doesn't have a physical infirmity he needs to be healed from. He's got a spiritual infirmity that he needs healing from. And so he hears that Jesus has come to town and what's he do? He climbs up in a sycamore tree. Like Jesus is used to desperate people trying to get to him. You know who wasn't? These four teenage followers who have been following Jesus for just about a minute and they travel to a new town and here comes this leper. And listen, these followers probably don't know a whole lot about leprosy. They may not know all of the details, but here's what they do know. They do know that this, like this rabbi, this rabbi who they are following cannot be in the presence of a leper. And so when this guy comes running up to them and he's not even doing the unclean, unclean thing, like he comes running up to him, they're just waiting for their rabbi, Jesus, to rebuke him, to put him back in his leprous state. Like to go ahead and kick him out of town so that they can get on with the work of bringing in the kingdom of God. And Jesus 
wanting to show them who he really is and what he really came to do, does the exact opposite of what they expect him to do. Think about the scene. There they are. They're kind of gathered around Jesus. The man's bowing down before him, begging to be made clean. And what does Jesus do? He reaches down and touches the man. Now, this is staggering. This is staggering. Because when you read throughout the gospels, we see very clearly that Jesus can heal people by just saying the word. All he has to do is say the word and the man would have been healed just like that. But that's not what he does, does he? No, he goes out of his way to bend down to this man who's probably face down and he touches him. Why? Why does he do that? Is it because he just, he wants to say that the Mosaic law doesn't matter anymore and that he, he can just violate it no problem? No, he's willing to violate Mosaic law because he wants to show these followers that he's just recruited from the very beginning who he is and what he's come to do. See, this is actually his very first presentation of the gospel. See, the good news of Jesus is that Jesus has come to take our sin and shame and offer us healing and the hope of heaven. And that's exactly what he has just done for this one leper. Think about this for an instant. I mean, this this is so mind-boggling, and I don't want you to miss this. Jesus does for this one what he would eventually do for all of us through his life and his death on the cross. See, when Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? He took all of the, the sickness and the sin and the shame of the world, and he put it upon his shoulders. Why? Because he came to offer the world healing and the hope of heaven. Now, some of you might be going, whoa, whoa, whoa. are you saying that Jesus sinned? That Jesus sinned in touching this man? No, he did not. See, having leprosy in the Bible was, was not a sin. But here's what's interesting. Leprosy throughout the Bible is a symbol of sin and sickness and shame. So no, Jesus did not sin. What he did, and this is remarkable, don't miss this. What he did is he touched the man and he traded his cleanness for the man's uncleanness. He made that great exchange that we've all experienced as followers of Jesus in this instance right here, right now, which is, here's what's, here's what's this is so good. What happens is this man is restored in that instance so that he not only has this physical abnormality disappear, the more important thing for him is he gets to go home. He gets to go back to his loved ones. He gets to step, at, step back into the society from which he was outcast. But in that instant, Jesus then has been rendered unclean. Which is why if you go to the verse 16, we're reminded that Jesus would leave those cities and leave those towns to depart from those places. He was taking the place of this leper just like he would take the place of all of humanity through his death on a cross. See, from the very beginning of the disciples' ministry with Jesus, he has told them very clearly that if you are going to come and follow me, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty. In fact, it's going to be real hard and it's going to get real messy. Like if you're going to follow me, what you're going to see me do is take the sin and sickness of the world so that I can offer the world hope and healing. This is, this is pretty radical for these disciples. This would have been the last thing that they would have expected to see happening. But here's why this matters to me. For years and years and years, I've read this passage and, and I've missed something that was so staggering. See, see, when I tend to read scripture, what I do is I normally find one of the characters in there that I feel like I can relate most to. And I look at what's happening from their vantage point. And so for years, when I've read this particular passage, I've always kind of placed myself in the shoes of the disciples. I mean, I've thought, man, what would it have been like? You've just left everything to go and follow Jesus. And you've stepped into this new town and you've got this man who should have been shouting unclean, bowing down before your rabbi. What would have been racing through their minds? And I think it's good to place yourself in the shoes of the disciples in the scene. But I actually realized for the first time that what would be better for me 
is to place myself in the shoes of the leper. Because the reality is, that's my story. See, my story is that I'm a sinner and I'm unclean and I've got sickness and brokenness in my life. And the reality is that there's not an earthly remedy for my sin and my sickness and my brokenness. So I'm, I'm in need of a heavenly remedy, just like this leper was. And here's what I know. I know that so often when the unexpected comes my way, I find myself thinking, I can't ask for help. It's too deeply personal. Like, I, I can't turn to God in this season. Like, he would be ashamed or embarrassed by, by the mess that I've gotten myself into or this thing that has come my way. Listen, if you're anything like me and you've ever had those kind of thoughts, I just wanna remind you of the thing that I have to remind myself of all the time. That thing that has come my way that I never saw coming was not meant solely for me to bear. In fact, most of the time when the unexpected comes my way, I find myself recognizing that I need more wisdom and more strength than I have in my body and in my mind. And the good news is I don't have to rely on the wisdom and strength that I have in my body because the one who is all wise, all knowing and all powerful dwells inside of me. And the reason that I can deal with any unexpected thing that comes my way is not because I am enough, because I'm just a leper. The reason I can deal with any unexpected thing that comes my way is because I've been healed by the Holy Son of God. And that's not just my story, that's yours too. See, I wanna encourage you with whatever unexpected thing that you're wrestling with right now to be reminded of the truth right here, right now, that it's not about how good you are. It's not about how right you are, how clean you are. It's not about how smart you are or how strong you are, or how holy you are. It's about how good, how righteous and how holy the son of God is because he's declared that just as you are, he's willing to reach into the mess of your life and touch you so that you can receive that healing and that hope of heaven that only he can provide. And here's the thing when you recognize that that's your story, it doesn't really matter what comes your way after that because you know that you're not facing whatever comes alone. You have God dwelling in your life and in his presence, there is a perfect peace that's not dictated or controlled by the circumstance, no matter how unexpected it may be. And I actually saw this demonstrated for me a few years ago. Um, a few years ago, I, I had the privilege of going up to the North Georgia mountains to a campground called Camp Glisten, where I was invited to be a camp speaker for the week. And, and so I, I spent the first night leading worship and, and had just a great experience. And after, after worship was over, the camp director kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, we've got one of our counselors who's really struggling. He was a college age kid who was just going through a super hard time. She didn't really kind of let me know anything else. She just said, he's having a hard time. Would you be willing to talk with him? And I said, absolutely. So the next night I get together with this camp counselor. His name was Matthew. I said, Matthew, hey, what's going on, man? What, what's going on with you? And he goes, so my father just unexpectedly passed away. And I'm really struggling with it. I didn't see it coming. Wasn't prepared. And then he went on to share the hurts and the pains and the fears and the doubts and the guilt and the shame that he was wrestling with because of this unexpected thing that had come his way. And, and I, remember, I remember kind of looking at him at one point because he was just so calm as he was sharing all this with me. And I looked at him at one point and I just said, hey, how, how are you holding yourself together with all that you're dealing with right now? Like, how are you, how are you like not breaking down? How are you holding it together? And he goes, I'm not, my heavenly father is holding me together. I don't want you to miss this. His earthly father had just passed away unexpectedly and he was never prepared for that. But he knew even in the midst of that unexpected moment that it wasn't his situation to hold together. It was the Lord's and his heavenly father was holding him together. Listen, 
whatever it is you're walking through this morning, whatever unexpected thing has come your way, I want you to hear this. It doesn't matter if you were prepared or not. What matters is if you're aware of the presence of the Lord or not. Because if you're aware of his presence, then you'll be filled with his peace. And his peace isn't rattled or shaken by the circumstances that you find yourself in, whether they're unexpected or not. And if you're curious this morning as to whether or not you have that peace of the Lord, like if you're you're kind of looking for a litmus test as to whether or not you have that peace kind of dwelling inside of you right now, here's a good way to know. People who have the peace of the Lord because they're in the presence of the Lord, they, they want other people to experience that same presence and peace. And so if, you're, if you are actively seeking ways for people to experience the presence and peace of the Lord, it's probably a good indication that you've got it too. And, and if you're not presently pursuing that, like if you're not pursuing sharing the, the presence and the peace of the Lord with others, well, I've got an unexpected opportunity that I want to extend to you this morning because maybe just maybe the Lord is stirring something inside of you right now. Maybe the Lord has something that he's calling you to step into and maybe he's been calling you to step into this for a while and you've just told yourself that you couldn't because you weren't prepared. Listen, I just want you to hear this. When the Lord calls you to step into something new, it's not because you're prepared to do it. It's because he's prepared to go with you through it. And the thing I wanna extend to you this morning is the opportunity for you to step up and let the kids of our church and the kids of our community know that truth for themselves. See, I I don't know if you know this or not, but about a quarter of our church on every Sunday worships in the Kids Who Children's Ministry. Like one fourth of our church is kids. And that's awesome. You know why that's awesome? Because a whole lot of the kids in our church and the kids in our community don't know how loved they truly are. And we as the Vine Church have the opportunity to share that undeniable truth with them. And the way that happens is when adults, who by the way, don't always feel prepared, step up knowing that it's not gonna be about their wisdom and their strength when they're serving. It's gonna be about God's wisdom and strength working through them as they serve. And if you're not sure that you wanna wanna take that unexpected step, I just want you to to check out this video because maybe the cute faces on here will change your mind. Check this out. Hello, grown-ups. Do you want me to get your own? I like it! One in every four people at the vine is a kid. What? What? Aisha, I'm sure. That is so many kids. I'm the leader. I need a leader. Will you be my leader? Will you be my leader? I want to tell you about my wrestling match. I can tell you about my swim meet. I want to tell you about my home. My competition. Tell my soccer match. More grown up say yes. Say yes. Say yes. I'm the next generation. Say yes. I'm the next generation. Say yes. Say yes to me. Say yes to the next generation. Let's go. Church, saying yes to the generation is not about you being prepared to say yes to the next generation. It's about you being aware of the presence of the Lord calling you to step into something that he's prepared to step into with you. This morning, if if you feel like the Lord is stirring something inside of you and maybe this is the right time for you to step in and have a conversation with one of our Kids Who Leaders about serving, then we have cards up front that say, I said yes. And we would encourage you to come and grab one of these cards during the closing song, or you can grab it right after worship. And you can either fill it out and leave it right here on the front of the stage, or you can actually take it and just drop it off at the guest services desk located in the lobby. But this is your opportunity to have a conversation about what it would look like. And some some people always look at me like, I can't put my name on that because it's like a blood oath. It's not a blood oath, okay? This is just your opportunity to get information and have a conversation about what it would look like for you to step in 
step in and share the presence of the Lord that you have experienced for yourself. Because I can't think of a more holy calling than for you to take the presence and the peace of the Lord that's dwelling in you and pass it on to the next generation. I believe that that would change our church. I believe that that would change our community. And I believe ultimately that that would change our world if we decided that every child here and every kid in our community was gonna experience for themselves the presence and the peace of the Lord because we were going to share it with them. And you have the unexpected opportunity to step up and do just that. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not sure I can share the presence and the peace of the Lord because I'm not sure I have the presence and the peace of the Lord in my life. Listen, if you are uncertain as to whether or not that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, if you're uncertain as to whether or not God even likes you this morning, I want you to hear this. You have the unexpected opportunity today to make the best decision you can ever make in your entire life. And that is to place your complete trust in Jesus as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And when that happens, you experience some radical transformations. First and foremost, everything that you've ever done wrong in your entire life disappears. It's washed away. You, as the leper, are made clean. You know what else happens? You're made so clean that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus comes to dwell inside of you. And he begins to grow the fruit of the Spirit in you. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what happens is, when those things are growing inside of you, you can't help but share that peace and that presence of the Lord with everyone around you. And my prayer is that if you've never experienced it for yourself, that today will be the day that you leave here knowing that you don't leave alone, that the God who created you goes with you because he loves you. In fact, he couldn't love you any more than he does right now. And there's never been a better time for you to receive that for yourself.
I will put my trust in you. 